You're listening to SuperPod, Road to One Million, presented by SuperOps.ai, where we ask top MSP owners what it's like in the trenches and what does it take to build a million-dollar MSP. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of SuperPod, Road to One Million. I'm Radhika Nair, and I head content at SuperOps.ai. I'm super thrilled to have Neil Shaw with us here today. Neil is from England and runs True MSP there. Neil is passionate about helping businesses eliminate technology frustration through strategic planning. He has worked in the IT industry since the mid-90s. He started True MSP in 2017, and in these few short years, he and his business partner have built an MSP with 10 team members, 100 clients, including a PLC with over 2,000 users, and 100% client retention rate. Now, that's something truly impressive. True MSP has reached the 1 million milestone and is on track to reach 2 million pounds soon. Neil is here to talk to walk us through the True MSP journey to 100 customers. Welcome, Neil. I'm super excited to have you here with us on SuperPod. Thank you for inviting me. And I think we'll just dive straight in into you know the why of it. Why did you decide to start True MSP about you know four years ago? What was the decision uh, to jump into entrepreneurship? Okay, so um, I've been in the IT industry for a long time, as you mentioned, and um, I was working for another MSP along with my business partner, Tim, and we just found that we weren't um, making the sort of progress we wanted to make within the business. So we attempted a management buyout of that business, which didn't work. Uh, So we came to a mutual arrangement with the owner of that business to separate and go our own separate way so we could actually take charge and run the business exactly how we wanted to. So uh, in a nutshell, failed MBO, we started our own business and didn't look back. Great, Neil, thanks there. And I also wanted to, uh, you know, if you could talk a little bit about True MSP as it is right now, what are your clients like? What are the verticals that you target? What's your team like right now? Okay, sure. So at the moment, as you mentioned, there's 10 people within the business, uh, myself and Tim, and and then mainly technical people. We have one, um, we've actually just employed a digital marketing apprentice um, who's very new to the business, only with us for four weeks. So essentially, um, we we didn't originally target anybody. We, we were quite happy to work with anybody that uh, needed IT help, support, services. But over the last year or two, we've strongly gone after accountants, solicitors, and other professional services, uh, as we find they, um, I wouldn't say necessarily appreciate what we do more, but they really need what we do. Um, and they need the systems to work seamlessly and, and robustly um, to help their businesses grow and prosper, essentially. Yes, and, and that's that's why they come to MSPs, right? And that's why yeah. we are all here, yes. Yeah. And I also wanted to understand, you know, now with the benefit of hindsight, what were the big reasons for true MSP success? You know, what was it that you got right? Okay, so... Um, we get asked all the time, what's our unique selling point? And we don't really have um, anything groundbreaking or disruptive. It's purely doing a good job. It's as simple as that. Just focus on doing the best job you can, communicating with your clients, making sure that you're giving them the best advice possible, um, fair pricing, just really giving them the best user experience possible. So um, yeah, we don't have a unique selling point. We just do the job we're paid to do better than the other guys i guess (laughs) right i also you know from our previous discussion one of the points that i really uh that really stood out for me was the fact that 
it's referral marketing that really works well for you and not, you know, you haven't really uh, gone the paid marketing way. So if you could talk a little bit more about that, how has, uh, how did you decide or what led you to focus on referral marketing? Okay, so um, from early days in 2017, when we only had a few customers, like three or four customers, um, we just sort of said, let's focus on those clients, make sure that we um, offer them all the products and services we can and make sure they're the right fit for that client. And we soon found that because we were offering so many uh, individual products and services, so not just IT support, we'd have internet connectivity, um, VoIP phone systems, antivirus, 365 licenses, the whole lot. People quickly found that actually it was quite nice having one point of contact, one company to deal with for all of your IT needs. And then within that, a referral kind of engine started where um, our clients would go, do you know what, you, you know, you need an internet connection, go with these guys. So they'd come with us for an internet connection and then go, oh, you do other things. So essentially, we weren't just being referred for IT support. It was actually for other services. And then the quicker we, um, we grew really quickly by literally just people saying, you know, these guys are great use them for whatever service you need and I'm sure you'll want the other services as time goes on and it just kind of snowballed essentially. So now I understand that it started very organically as a word of mouth yeah. effort and you know not too much effort from your part but now do you have a process for it do you have you know do you have a reward system for referral how, how have you uh, you know made it into a process now? So that's a really good question. We've tried to actually make it into a reward uh, process. We've tried many things. We've had um, a few examples. We've offered uh, cash incentives. For example, um, if, a support, if, if you help us win a support contract of value X, we will give you Y percentage of that for, say, 12 months. We've offered um, hardware, in the, like iPads, um, Surface tablets, you name it. We've offered everything. And the big thing we found is people really don't want anything. They, they're just quite happy to refer just because it's a, it's a good thing to do. Um, so maybe a feel-good factor on their part, I don't know. But essentially, we, we've really tried to push the referral marketing by using a mechanism. And really, it, it, nothing seems to whet their appetite, if, if that makes sense. It's purely just doing a good thing, I guess. That that's a very interesting point, right? And I also wanted to understand that. So it seems like you really focus um, a lot on customer experience. So what is it that you do to ensure that customer happiness is always maximized? What are the uh, what are the steps that you take there? Okay, so um, one of the main things that we we're quite proud of is uh, many of our competitors will post on their website or on their social media. We have a response time of X, and that X could be ten minutes, fifteen minutes, half an hour, uh, which is great. Um, our response time is you call us, the phone rings, and we pick it up. And at the moment, it's six seconds. So you could argue, okay, they respond in in a quick time on the help desk, but then you'll get through to a first line support. The first line will log a ticket, issue a ticket number, um, go through the process, may or may not be able to fix it, then escalate. We, we've scrapped any kind of first, second or third line support. We, you, we answer the phone. The person on the phone is at a level where they can answer pretty much any question. And if they can't, the team around them will, will jump in and, and help them out. So we have rapid response, very rapid. Um, I, I don't know of any other IT company that has the same sort of system. I'm sure there are some out there, but... Um, I've not seen it advertised as such. So yeah, essentially, it's just um, being very quick to answer a question. If, if someone's got a, an Excel spreadsheet that's crashed or something very basic, they don't want to wait 15 minutes for a ticket number to be issued. 
Um, so one of the other things as well is we don't issue ticket numbers. You speak to somebody on the phone, they help you out. And if they don't fix it in, in time, it's logged our end. So we have a ticket uh, reference, but the client never, ever uh, has to experience or remember a ticket number. It's all updated um, efficiently and quickly, essentially. So we make it nice, a nice, well, we try and make it a pleasure to call IT rather than, oh, I've got to call the IT guys again, you know. Right. And but I wanted to understand that you're talking about this quick response, right? And you're talking about in seconds and not even minutes. How do you do that at scale? How do you do that at a scale of 100 customers? Okay, so another great question. So essentially, um, having worked in the IT industry for so long, um, one of the main problems with companies evolving from a break fix kind of um, historic model into an MSP is they've always struggled with kind of getting getting their heads around it. So when we started True MSP, it was purely as a managed service provider where everything is done the way we want to do it to make it efficient and, and slick. So to answer your question, um, we have five people on our help desk and they service all of those clients. Now, what we do is we standardize. So we don't just say you have to go with our products. We, um, we build confidence with the client so they understand why the products are right for them. We offer a couple of products, but we don't offer a a complete range so say for example backup and disaster recovery we have two products one um, is the absolute bells and whistles rolls royce of solutions the other one is pretty good but much more budget friendly if that makes sense and it's same with most of our products we offer kind of one at either end they're all fit for purpose and they'll do a fantastic job just depends where you're at in your business and what you're you know what you want to spend on your it so um that means that our guys have less things to worry about because they're not having to worry about 10 different antivirus products, 10 different backup products, et cetera. And when we onboard clients, we go through a very thorough process of making sure that there are uh, the gremlins have been ironed out. So any historic problems, we iron them out as part of the onboarding process, um, essentially to make sure there's less hardware or software issues. And also then we, um, we help empower the users to be a little bit more sort of self-diagnostic you know in the old days it used to be oh um, I always say this one my mouse has fallen off the table call IT to come and help pick it up and put it back on the desk so right. now we say you know just do the usual things check the cables check your batteries in your mouse that, those kind of really basic things and the clients kind of like it because you know we're empowering them to help themselves they then call us less we can reduce costs because they're not calling as many times and just it's just a nice cycle that keeps repeating itself got that also you know when you started out and what were the challenges in the initial days what were the things if you could walk us through say the first hundred days or the first few months of setting up true msp what were the processes that you focused on or what were the things that you uh, from a business point of view from a tech point of view or from a uh, you know technician training yeah. point of view any of those Sure, okay. So essentially, when Tim and I set the business up, there was just the two of us sitting there thinking, what have we done? You know, we've set up a business, where, where do we go from now? Um, so very quickly, it was important to say, right, we have a limited budget of money we've invested into the business. It wasn't a lot at all, uh, just a few thousand pounds, essentially. So we made sure that we had um, the right accounts package in place, an, an accountant that was trusted and not too expensive, Um we already had started talking to vendors to make sure we could get a line of credit and um, and source products. So if somebody wanted a laptop, we weren't going to 
worry where to get it from and kind of get we, we started this process actually just before we started the business officially so we've kind of done a bit of legwork before um the doors opened as such so essentially what i would say is um making sure that everything we needed was either outsourced or low cost um and that um when a client did come to us whether it be through referral or somebody that knew us historically and wanted to work with us we had the processes in place to actually onboard them and not worry that we hadn't got something like a PSA or an RRM system in place. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of pre-opening of the doors work, really. Right. And when was it that you, or, or let me step back a little more, um, the first few clients, right? Uh, that, what, what, was the, uh, what was the point where you knew that, okay, now the business has started working, now the you know flywheel has started moving when when did you reach that point okay. how did you know that you reached that point yeah so probably um three months in i'd guess uh, the first few months i remember the first week we uh, we set the business up and we already had a few clients that wanted to come with us um and technically had sort of signed up but you know it was early days and the phone didn't ring for the first few days so it was a little bit of the phones working you know um yes. is everything okay and what we found out that, our, that the clients that wanted to work with us and had already signed up in the very early days through historic relationships and just being you know, liked, known and trusted by them and then wanting to come with us, um, they, they just didn't want to bother us in the early days. They wanted us to like get our feet under the table and get going. So the first week was a bit strange. Then it kind of became, oh, actually, yeah, well, we're getting some phone calls, we're, we're getting some sales, things are working quite well. And then by about month three, I think we were up to 20... 22 clients, I think it was, um, purely from uh, my, myself and, and Tim's reputation within the industry and knowing that we weren't working for another business where we didn't have full control. The, the companies who had maybe not worked with us in the past because they didn't want to work with that business, they wanted to work with us, now went, oh, hello, we can work with these guys and they have full uh, autonomy over the business. Um, and they started to, to come along, essentially. Great. And um, when you know when when did you reach that uh, when you reached that say a uh, fifty client when you reached that growth stage right were there things that you started doing differently when when it started scaling up okay what, what did you do to manage that scale okay so the way we uh, I suppose it's worth going back to how we run the team so we have an open plan office there's no offices for Tim and myself we're we're all in the same office so for example I sit about six feet away from the newest member of staff who's normally an apprentice so we have a very open um, dialogue throughout the office we're always helping and listening and advising and mentoring the the, the other team members so um, essentially when the, the business got to a point where we didn't just need a help desk, we actually needed like a projects team because Tim and I weren't going to do the projects anymore. We actually said, right, now's the time to see if we can move somebody from the help desk into projects or whether we get an actual projects person in, like a senior engineer. Um, and as it turned out, because of the way we'd recruited people, we actually built them up to a good level of competency very quickly. So from a technical aspect, they were really good and they could manage their own time and do the projects. We just needed to be there because they didn't have the industry um, length of service so they were perhaps as skilled in year one and two as somebody been in IT for three or four years or five even um, but didn't have the um, the wider sort of sense of knowing when not to do something because they'd not 
lived and breathed multiple errors that all IT people make at some point in their career, if you know what I mean. So, so yeah, so we, as we grew and as we scaled the clients, we just helped our team stretch into other roles and give them more autonomy to manage and to look after their own um, area without being micromanaged by myself or Tim, essentially. Got that. And, and two things really I wanted to, um, I wanted you to speak on much more uh, based on your earlier answers. One, of course, you mentioned about outsourcing in the early days, right? And that's something that I, I from what I hear uh, among MSPs, there's a, you know, there are two schools of thought then to outsource or not to outsource, right? So I wanted to understand a little more uh, about, you know, how, how you went about it. Okay, so outsourcing purely is for operational um, aspects of the business. Um, accounts is definitely outsourced, health and safety, um, HR, uh, all of the, the sorts of the, and again, going back to when um, legacy break fix companies may have even had internal HR, internal health and safety, internal accountants, for example, we, um, that's quite a large wage bill each month to have those people when you can outsource. Sure. And it goes back to exactly how MSPs work. If you have an internal IT person, you could be spending anything between £30,000 on the lower end to hundreds of thousands, depending on the size of your organisation, whereas we can do it for a fraction of that cost without the worry of sickness, um, lack of knowledge, or people taking holidays, etc. So, um, yeah, we were very we were very quick to outsource all of the things that would take Tim and I away from looking after the business, running the business, and and working on it rather than in it. Um, so, don't get me wrong, we do we do still do the odd invoices, we do. do still do some paperwork, but everything to do with um, staff payroll, pensions, HR, health and safety, that's all outsourced. And we just have regular meetings with those outsourced partners to make sure we're on track, um, all our policies and procedures are correct, and you know we can move forward you know, in a happy way. Right. And the second one that I really wanted you to talk about more is you were mentioning about stepping back, right? About ensuring that your other team members are taking on more and you and Tim are you know, doing other things, you're not doing projects. So I wanted to understand that the evolving role that you have as the founders of the MSP, right? What, mm -hmm. what, how has that changed from say this time you started to now? Okay, so from day one, we did everything. So if you take the, um, the admin side of things, we were obviously doing that with our, with our sales partners, but we were also answering the phones. We were doing first line calls, resetting passwords through to installing service and doing cloud migrations. And then as we built our team up around us, um, what, it's, it's sometimes quite tricky. A lot of business owners will find it tricky to sort of hand over those roles to other people. But what we do, and it's part of our recruitment process, is to get the right people in that we know have the attitude and aptitude to, to learn and develop in the role. So it's actually become, as, as, as again, with our open plan office, it's really nice because you can see people grow and know when you can hand off. So, for example, recently we've um, given one of our guys uh, full autonomy to quote for our clients. Tim and I have always historically done that because we know what the margins are, where to buy things from, what money we need to make on each deal. Um, but now we've handed that over to one of our guys and he's, he's smashing it. You know, he's been doing it probably for four weeks now and it's as if he's always done it so first few oh. days are a little bit whoa you know um, be careful and then um yeah he's absolutely smashing it and doing a great job so we've given him access to our vendor portals for ordering so that'll be the next step let him in order all the the kit as well so um yeah it's just 
a slow process of seeing where people are good and what their strengths are and then going, actually, yeah, we can offload that to that person um, whilst being mindful of the fact that they have a main job. So if they're a help desk person and then they start doing quotes, yes, they're not going to be doing help desk as much. So we make sure a portion of their week is set aside for these additional roles. Um, and then when we need to, we will recruit in um, at, at the help desk level to then uh, fill that gap. Right. I also wanted to understand any mistakes that you've made on the way or any course corrections that you had to do. Um, that's, it's an interesting one, that, because um, I suppose in hindsight, we would say, yes, we have made mistakes. It's just difficult to find what they are because we've done very well and we are continuing to grow. Uh, we have great, you know, 100% client retention. Um, the, the, we've had a couple of people leave us from the team, but they've been due to personal circumstances as opposed to, um, you know, a problem with them as such. So I suppose course corrections would be maybe to focus on other revenues routes to market revenue streams uh, sooner rather than just relying on referral marketing if the referral marketing wasn't as strong we wouldn't have been able to just lean on that altogether um and potentially maybe be a little bit more aggressive um, on the growth we've kind of just let it do its thing which has been great but everyone's getting older you know we've all got end games in sight and we all want to achieve certain achievements so yeah um probably be a little bit more focused on growth and more on it, I guess, you know, just try and be a little bit more on the growth aspect of it rather than just letting it do its thing. Right. And uh, you also mentioned different revenue streams, right? I wanted to understand that. Was that something that you consciously chose to do over a period of time, build new revenue streams? You know, not just like you mentioned, you have multiple um, products and areas of focus, right? It's not just yeah. one. So. And that, that's interesting from a client point of view as well, right? You are, you are able to do a lot of cross-selling and up-selling as well. Yeah. Was it something that came consciously? Was it something that, you know, because of the client's demand, it was, uh, you know, it built, it started building yeah. that What was it like? No, it was absolutely a conscious um, decision to do that. So when um, when we've worked at previous IT companies, as I say, break-fix or, or kind of MSP break-fix hybrids, um, it's always been we focus on IT support and we try and sell other things. You know, you might buy antivirus offers, you might buy uh, a backup solution offers, th those kind of things. We were really conscious that every every company now needs an, an internet connection. They will need phone systems. Historically, you wouldn't use an IT company. You'd go to your telecoms company. Well, phone systems right. now with the, with the VoIP systems we use, they're more IT based than they are telecoms based. Um, and what we found is we we have a we try to have a really happy balance between our bread and butter IT support, which obviously is a recurring monthly revenue and services where you make a, a margin on it, whether it be small, medium or, or large. So um, from our point of view, it's a very conscious decision to try and offer as much as possible that doesn't cause us extra stress. So to put that into, into perspective, if we would sell a phone system to somebody that makes um, a decent markup, you know, it's good margin. It sits there just like an antivirus product doing its thing. Yes, it may go wrong, but very infrequently, the most uh, calls we get for phone systems are a new user or can you change the call groups? They're all very quick, 30, 60 second fixes, you know, five minutes in the grand scheme of things. Um, other than that, it just sits there ticking over in the background, bringing in revenue. So the main, the main areas we focus on outside of IT support are um, software services, so SaaS services like um, Backup 365, antivirus, um, cybersecurity solutions, 
whether it be a proper sort of um, antivirus based with um, you know with a sort of a, a security center on the back end, or whether it's actually a zero threat um, solution, because people like different kind of areas. You know, some people don't want to let things in, and therefore they don't need the antivirus in the same way. You know, there's all different schools of thought. So all of these products and services we build up over time. We make sure that when a client is due for renewal on a phone system or a lease line or whatever, we ask to, to, to quote. And all of the time we quote, because we, we don't look to make massive margins, because we have so many services with each client, we find that they go with us. Um, and a good example of that is lease lines. Um, you know, lease lines have been very expensive historically. Our markup on lease line is, is tiny compared to what I know our competitors do, but we don't care because a lease line just sits there doing its thing and that markup comes in every month as a recurring revenue and the client after the three-year term will renew for another three will renew for another three because we're not trying to make double triple you know the the, the markup on it that other other client companies are yes and that that's a very interesting point right the recurring revenue but maximizing that over one-time revenue yeah you know, okay. you were mentioning about the um, about scaling up your technicians, right? Giving them more responsibilities. So, what do you look for when you hire a technician? Okay, so we don't look for technical people. Funnily enough, we actually look for people, as I mentioned earlier, with the right attitude and aptitude. So, um, a good example of this is one of our top guys who uh, has been in IT for a total of well five years, almost pretty much since we started. Um, his job before IT was assembling um, sheds for livestock, cattle, sheep, you know, wow. four-legged friends, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but when he came to interview with us, we just saw the attitude was great. The aptitude seemed to be there. Um, and very quickly, and, and I'd say within three years of becoming an IT person, um, he was doing cloud migrations, 365 migrations, SharePoint setups, server installations, setting up uh, like sonic wall and watch guard vpn firewalls uh, doing all the routing you name it he can do it so now uh, tim and i need to do very little technical because we can just pass it over to him and he's been in it for say less than five years essentially so again when we recruit people it's always attitude and aptitude as opposed to whether they've you know got a server under their bed and they know what they're doing that's great but i'd rather have good attitude and aptitude every day and was this your first technician that you hired? Uh, no, no, he was, where was he? He would have been third, I think. I think third. Yeah, he didn't start with us from day one. Um, the, the, two, the two people we actually um, had from day one, one of them was uh, an IT person um, who came quite highly recommended. And the other one was a, an apprentice who used to sell um, newspapers for a living. Wow, so you have a good mix there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how did you land your first client? I, I remember you mentioning that, you know, you had clients as when you moved, yeah. when you started, but how did you, you know, get them for the first time? Yeah, so um, we had a few clients that knew um, through sort of the whispers, you know, the grapevine that we were starting our own business. And um, they were, they were, at the time, they were obviously prospects and they were looking to join us. So very early on, we kind of knew who wanted to work with us. So we, we just made phone calls and just said, can we book meetings? Um, we booked meetings with all of them very quickly within the first sort of week to 10 days. 
Um, and then they joined us within the first 30 days. Most of them were literally at the end of a contract waiting, literally waiting for this to happen um, because obviously there'd been rumblings months before that this was going to happen. Um, so when, when we could officially onboard them, they were, they were straight there. So in a way, I suppose, if I was setting up a business with no, um, no reputation or no customers like that, it would have been a different experience. But, you know, being in IT since the mid-90s, I've built up, and so has Tim, we've built up quite a reputation within the industry and especially the local area. So um, that was kind of like legwork without even knowing we were doing it over the years. Yes, and, and that's that's how you build your reputation right over the years. Yeah. It's one brick at a time. I also wanted to understand that if you were to start all over again, what is the one thing you would do differently you know, to grow your MSP? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, do differently to grow it. So, again, going back to the being more focused on trying to find other revenue streams or other routes to market, um, not just sitting back and relying on referral marketing. I say that's probably a bit unfair. We didn't just sit back. We actually worked really hard for it. But, it, it you know, people doing referrals uh, doesn't really cost anything in the grand scheme of things. So I think we'd be more focused on, um, I think we'd be more focused on nailing what vertical we wanted to go after so rather than just say um, anyone that needs it we'd probably go right who do we want to work with and then really focused our marketing or efforts on that particular vertical by networking in the correct areas and uh, hanging around with the right people uh, i guess would be a good, good sort of way of putting it right and what's been your biggest challenges in msp and you know how did you overcome that um so I guess the biggest challenge is still the ongoing challenge of marketing. Um, marketing MSP is very difficult. And I know people, there might be some people that have nailed it down. I'm yet to find anyone that's really got the, the engine working. But essentially, um, MSP clients are all in contracts. They're all in year two or three year contracts. So getting in front of them just as they're ready to sign up with someone else or ready to move is quite tricky. So um yeah, the, you really have to uh, nurture leads over a long period of time, unless you're so lucky that someone is looking for you or they've come, you've met them at the right time, which is probably 5% of the whole client base. You really have to be regular touch points in front of the target audience, um, giving, helping them like, know and trust you so that when the time comes to make a decision, you're top of the list, essentially. Got it. And, um, you know, if you had to give one message to MSPs who are struggling today or who are starting out today, what would that be? Okay, so um, if, you, if you're getting into being an MSP and you're a techie that isn't a business person, as in you, you're, you're a passionate technical person like I was, uh, with not much business experience and you want to get into it, I would say... Um, ask for help, know who you can lean on to give you good advice um, and constant, just concentrate on making sure your, your procedures are in place and your, your, um, the, the people you're going to use are in place. So your accountant, HR, uh, health and safety vendors, make sure they're all in place because there's nothing worse than having a phone ringing as a, as a person on your own, for example, um, with a technical issue whilst you've got no vendor to buy hardware from or you've got no one to sell you SaaS services, et cetera. So do legwork first to get those in place. You don't need to have customers to do that. You just need to start your business. Um, 
and just focus on getting things right to make your life as easy as possible. Yes, that's that's a very important point. Anything that we haven't covered so far, anything that you would like to add further? Um, bit, owning an MSP is very rewarding. Um, so if you have started one, what my message, I guess, to people would be um, don't give up. There are plenty of clients out there for everyone. Um, I actually host a, a regular um, peer group with other MSP owners where we openly discuss how things are going right and wrong. Um, and yes, we're all competitors, but there are far more businesses out there than there are MSPs. So um, stick with it, do a good job, communicate with your clients um, and you'll do okay. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful note to close this uh, episode on. Thank you so much, Neil. Great talking you. to you. Really, really useful points there for MSP. Thank you for Great. being a part Thank of the podcast.